0: Hey everyone, thanks again for joining us. So glad that you're with us. I am gonna be uh, completing, actually, our sermon series today called Ecclesia. And uh, today we'll be looking at the church. What what does it mean to be the church as the temple? The church as the temple of God. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 to 17. And I'll be reading it for us today. This is what it says. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. That's the reading of the word. You know, when I think about temple, I think about a sacred space. I think about a space where I can find, where there's a, a respite, there's rest. Um, I think about traveling and going, entering into an old church and experiencing the space as sacred, as divine. You know, you see the paintings, you see the building structure, and it's so beautiful. We all have sacred spaces, places where we find respite and rest. Sometimes for me is running towards Liberty State Park and seeing the trees, the grass, the green, breathing the air. Sometimes it's sitting in my couch and listening to music from my sound system and enjoying the soundscape. I find that to be a sacred space. You might have that sacred space as well. It might be sitting, taking a walk in the park. It might be grabbing coffee and reading. It might be, um, um, for parents, this might be for you, just being alone in the bathroom, right? The kids are running around outside and the place you can find respite and rest and solitude is the bathroom, It's kind of like a sacred space. God, in this picture, in this text we just read, is saying to us, Paul is writing to us and saying that we are God's sacred space. The church is God's sacred place, God's temple. And that's beautiful because to imagine that God sees us as the space, as a sacred space, as a, a place where his presence abides. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, a church situated in a big city like New York City, it was like the, the New York City of the time. And he is writing to them, responding to the divisions that, that's, that's, that's been happening. And he's telling them listen, you are God's temple. He paints this picture for them to see, to realize that they are the sacred space of God. This imagery of the church as God's temple calls back all the way um, uh, to, to the Old Testament. And we can see this even in the Garden of Eden, in the first book of the Bible, God created this place where he and humans are in relationship together. They are walking together. The Garden of Eden was a sort of temple, a sacred space. And because of sin and disobedience and rebellion, that relationship is severed. And Adam and Eve, as it says in Genesis chapter 3, are cast out. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is God engaging with his people, God engaging with, with, with the Israelites, his chosen people, to reestablish that relationship. We see, from Abraham to Moses, to David, to Solomon, all these men built tents, temples, buildings for God and humans to meet. Yet these sacred spaces that were built with human hands were not enough or sufficient to bridge the gap between God and humanity. And Jesus came. Jesus came to bridge that gap. John 1, John 1, 14 talks about God, Jesus dwelling with us. And if you look at the wording there, it's, they're trying to say is that Jesus built, pitched his tent with us. He tabernacled with us. That's a, a temple, a tent. Um, calling back again to, to, to Moses and Genesis and Exodus, building a tent where humans and God meet. Jesus himself becomes the sacred space where we meet with God. And now, because of him, the church has now been established as the sacred space where God and humanity meet. And I want to unpack that a little bit for us today, and show us that that we now have been called to be the collective, um, the collective that brings humanity to God. And I'm going to talk about that in three, just three points by showing his presence, um, our pursuit of power, and our priesthood. Presence, power, priesthood. First point here, again, hearkening back to what Paul said to us that We are God's temple. He poses this question to the church. He poses this question to us. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you know that you are God's temple? Do you know that God's spirit lives in you? The idea that we are His temple suggests that His presence resides in us. If you believe and you follow Jesus, it it suggests that God's Spirit lives in us. And this is what is so remarkable about this, because even though we believe that Christ came, He lived, He died, He resurrected, and He ascended to heaven... He didn't leave us alone. He sent his spirit to be with us, to guide us, to comfort us, to lead us to truth. Jesus told his disciples, his friends in John 14 verse 16, he said this, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world, meaning those who who don't believe in him, cannot accept him because they can neither see him or know him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus talking to his friends. And we know that while Christ came more than 2,000 years ago, today we can still attest to his work through His Spirit that lives in us. There's a sense that faith in God is not about somehow conjuring up belief out of thin air. It's not about following our mother's religion or our father's religion. It's not about a blind faith, but a belief in reality, which is confirmed by the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. Paul in Romans 8, 14 said this. So for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship. Devlin talked about this last week, that we are now the family of God. The spirit that lives in us Brought us to this family that we're in. Spirit that lives in us. Points suggest that we are the temple of God. And he continues on and he says this, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Meaning we cry out in a loving, deep relationship. We cry out, Daddy, Father. We we respond in love because of the union we have with him. And then he ends with this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit that lives in us, that work in us today and gives us the assurance of our faith in him. It's not a blind belief, but he gives us the assurance that we are his children. But this text also points to the fact that there is a collective, a communal idea that we cannot just overlook. Sometimes when people read the text, when we read the text, we think he's talking about individual bodies. And yes, there is some aspect to that, how each and every one of us are um, endowed with the spirit of God. But here he's talking about it in a collective sense in the community, saying that we all are the temple of God and that we host God's presence, right? The church is not, in essence, what he's trying to say is the church is, is kind of, it's not a building, but it's a people that host the presence of God. And the presence of God collectively lives and, thro- and, and, and moves in us. And I think one of the idea behind this is this. Is that the church requires every one of us. Requires all of our participation. Requires all of us bearing our gifts. The gifts God has given us. well the whole church as a whole as a collective it's not about the brand <laughs> it's really not about hope jersey city it's not about individual, it's the church collectively and yes the god god is at work in our church as well and requires that all of our gifts are brought to bear that we are all participating and that we are all helping to experience God's presence through each and every one of us. So let us not be fooled because the strength of the church does not lie in the extravagant gifts or exaggerated gifts of one person. It does not lie in the upfront um, talents of people you might see coming you know, every Sunday to speak. It lies in the collective. Many of us working together in sync with the Spirit of God. And this leads me to my second point because the, this is the temptation. This is the temptation to think that is the, the, the temptation to, to um, hoard power or to ascribe power to one person. Um, the temptation is here to think that maybe you have the answers or this pastor has the answers. And what and so then what we're doing is giving ourselves, hoarding power to ourselves or ascribing power um, to, to someone else. And this is why oftentimes it can be easy to neglect or ignore voices in the room, people in the room, um, because maybe we, might have, we have this idea that they're not intelligent enough or not sophisticated enough or not, or, or, or not as talented enough. Whatever it may be, we hoard, and then what we end up doing is hoarding power to one person to a celebrity to the most talented person now text paul is writing to the corinthian church that they are destroying god's temple by doing such things they're desecrating god's church by making it about their own preferences and causing divisions because it, they, they're hoarding power to themselves or, or ascribing power to one person. In chapter 1 of, um, of, this, of this letter that Paul is writing to them, he says this. He says, one of you says, he's writing to the church. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, who's Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. And he's shocked at this because essentially what they're saying is that, um, that their, their temple is the temple of Paul, the temple of Apollos, the temple of Peter. They're ascribing power to just these gifted, gifted leaders in their church. Me saying that's wrong. You're causing divisions. And we see this so rampant in our church today. Churches driven by personalities, churches driven by celebrities, churches built on the charisma and oratory talent of one person. And we flock to this leader and to that leader, to this Instagram post, to this Twitter influencer. This person, because they're skilled in their gifts. Essentially, we, it's kind of like we're bored. <laughs> we're bored by our churches, by the slowness of how things happened. We're bored and we look for the dramatic. People look for the dramatic. And it's not even just going to different church leaders. It's just going even influencers that gives us, give us productivity hacks or um, self-help you know, quotes that makes us feel better about ourselves. I'm saying you're dividing the church you're being divided funny enough um a.w tozer speaks to this in his book the pursuit of god he says this we the church now demand glamour glamour and fast-flowing dramatic action we're a generation of christians reared reared among push buttons and automatic machines um, impatient of slower and less direct methods of reaching their goals. We have been trying to apply mis- machine-age methods to our relations with God. We read our chapter, have our short devotions, and rush away hoping to make up for our deep inward bankruptcy by attending another gospel meeting or listening to another thrilling story told by the, the, the religious adventurer lately returned from afar. And he says this, this tragic The tragic results of these spirit are all about, of this is we make it all about us. Shallow lives, hollow religious philosophies, the preponderance of the element of fun and gospel meanings, the glorification of men, trust in religious externalities, these and such as these are the symptoms of an evil disease, a deep and serious malady of the soul. My point is, my friends, that The life of the church is not about these things. It's not about seeking um, um, external religious experiences. It's not about dramatic outcomes. We forget that the church is the temple of God. It's not the temple of this celebrity or that celebrity. It's not your temple. It's the temple of God. We're not here to get our ears tickled by the preacher. We're not here to be entertained or to get intellectual stimulation. It is the collective body working together to encounter God through our unique, unique gifts and unique personalities. So we must fight this consumeristic mentality that makes us hoard power to ourselves or to celebrities or to talented people. We must join the local body with all of its mess and intricacies. We join the local body in recognizing that we are the temple of Christ and Christ alone. So, how can we do that? I end with this last point. We embrace the co- our collective duties as priests in God's temple. If Paul sees the whole church as a collective that houses and hosts the presence of God, that means that you and I are called to share in the work of the church. Again, We are all God's temple. It's the collective. It's not just me standing here speaking. It's not just the clergy. It's not just the talented. We all are called to serve as priests, utilizing our gifts, the gifts God has given us to serve one another and bring glory to God. That's one of the reasons I don't preach every Sunday. That's one of the reasons I want more people to to share, to teach, and preach because they have been gifted. It's not just me. I love it when we have different seminars and workshops and um, we have uh, uh, just people like Melissa Schneider who's sharing, using her gifts to teach us about relationships. I love that um, we have people who are sharing their gifts, whether it's... um, letting us know on racial injustices in our world or whatever it may be. They're using their gifts to serve the church. And God is calling every one of us to do the same so that we can serve one another and bring glory to God. And this is my prayer that more and more of us would do the same. This is the amazing thing about the church. It is the, about the life we share together in our groups, in our pods, in our worship gathering. And even though we haven't been meeting for a year, we know the church, again, Paul is kind of reminding, the church is not a building. It's a collective. The church is us. Every one of us. In 1 Peter 2, verse 4-5, to um, Peter is reminding them of their calling. He says this, As you come to Him, Jesus, he's talking about, as you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his wonderful light. You, everyone, not just a special group of people, you all, Are chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. We, He has chosen us to live our lives in glory and in service to others and to Him. Our lives are a sermon to the world, I heard it described like this in in a reading I saw somewhere. It says, like, we are like trees that extend high to the sky, touching the heavens, yet with roots anchored to the ground. It connects heaven to earth, the human to divine, the physical to the spiritual. This really is our priestly role. We bring heaven to earth we help people connect and meet the divine, the, phys- the, the spiritual. We bring that here through our lives as we, as we come together as the church. Now, the question you might have is how is it that we can be priests in all of our imperfections, all of our brokenness, Despite our sinful dispositions, how can we function as priests? We function as priests because we recognize the compassion God has for us. We recognize that Christ came as the great high priest who laid down his life for us. And in understanding that compassion he has for us, we are able to have compassion One, on ourselves and then on others around us. I pray this may be so for each and every one of us. Amen.